Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome one and all to this uh, service of worship. It's a delight to welcome everybody to our sanctuary here in GPC. We know, of course, we don't have a congregation with us, but we know that you're with us online and that you're watching us through the church website or through Facebook, and we're so excited for you to join us this evening for our evening worship service. Um, you may be glad that there's no congregation here because it's cold here in the sanctuary. We've all got jackets, and coats, and hats on because it's like 55 degrees in the sanctuary right now. So we have already prayed together uh, for this worship service, hoping that the warmth of God's love warms all of us this evening, whether we're here or whether we're online, and we're grateful again for your presence with us. You can find tonight's bulletin. In the, uh, in the church website page under the bulletins tab. I think you can get to it also through the sermons.net page. And we uh, hope that you'll follow that. You can see the words to the music. You can see the order of the service there. And we're grateful for everybody for uh, downloading that and participating and singing with us and making a joyful noise as we worship God this evening together. Please do sign the online friendship pad. That's also on the homepage of our church website that you can go there. And uh, for this evening's service, you can sign the friendship pad there, especially if you're a visitor with us here at GPC, with us virtually in the church. You can uh, go to that and you can find um, the friendship pad there. You can sign that. You can put in your information and especially if you'd like to know more about GPC as a family of faith, if you'd like to know more about our church, we'd be delighted to, uh, to get your uh, email or your telephone number to call you, to contact you personally, and to uh, let you know how grateful we are that you're worshiping with us. So please do sign our online friendship pad. Um, also, just a, a reminder that we are following the, the guidelines of the Shelby County Health Department. We're following the guidelines of Governor Bill Lee's office and other medical experts, our own uh, coronavirus team here at GPC. And so we're uh, online only tonight, of course. We're online only. No congregation present next Sunday for the morning worship service or for the evening worship service. And then we'll reassess during that week. We'll, we'll take in the advice of the experts that we have within our own church. We'll take in what the health department is telling us. And we'll get word out uh, as soon as possible about uh, whether we'll have in-person worship services on the 24th and the following Sundays. And believe me, nobody wants a congregation here more than we do. Morning and evening, it's just not the same. Um, preaching and, and, and singing to, uh, to empty pews, even though you're watching us, uh, we, we would love to have a congregation here. So we will uh, look forward to that. We know that that'll happen again soon, and we'll get the word out to everybody as soon as possible. It was such a pleasure, the uh, last announcements this morning, such a pleasure to introduce to everybody this morning our two new staff members, Jackie Klassen who uh, is from Germantown originally, went to Germantown High School, went to the University of Memphis, and uh, had, uh, has a, her undergraduate degree, graduate degrees from the University of Memphis. So great to introduce her as our new uh, director of special needs and the children's ministry assistant. Jackie, I know you'll love to meet her, and uh, you'll love to greet her as well. And then also uh, Christopher Greco, our new youth director, 
started uh, with us uh, this past week, and he's actually with some youth over in Warren Hall right now and um, getting to know him. And you'll have a chance to meet Christopher, of course, uh, if you are a youth in the 8th and ninth grades. Then next Sunday is your chance to come. We'll have a small group meet him then, and I believe 6th and 7th grades following that. But be on the lookout for information about that, and we look forward to having both Jackie in our morning and evening worship services. You'll get to meet Christopher as well. And so we're delighted to welcome those two new staff members into uh, the family of GPC. Um, Those are all of our announcements, and I'll start evening worship now with prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we come before you this night, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us during this time of worship. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you have given us. We're grateful for this day. Lord, every day is a gift. Every day is the day that you have made. And so on this day, in this hour, at this time, we will be grateful for all that you have to offer on this day. We will worship and we will be glad in this time. Lord, send your spirit to be with us in all that we sing, all that we say, and all that we do. May what we do tonight be honoring and glorifying to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're so glad that you've joined us online, and um, we're going to be singing Seek Ye First, an old tune. A friend of mine, Karen Lafferty, I went to school with her. I was a freshman coming into university, and she was graduating that year, and um, she put the melody to this song out of Matthew chapter 4 and also Matthew chapter 6. Do join us as we sing Seek Ye First. It comes with a great promise as we seek the Lord and his kingdom. First, he will take care of all of our needs.
invite you to continue worshiping with us and join us in singing this next song called Spirit of the Living God.
last song was such a great segue into our scripture lesson for today. Uh, both of our scripture lessons, um, we have one from Genesis and we have one from the New Testament that involve the Holy Spirit. And so that song was such a perfect uh, segue into that. Before we read scripture, I will pray for illumination. So please uh, join me in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray for your light to come because we can see only through a glass darkly. Without your insight, O oh God, without your wisdom, without your light to shine on us, we see only shadows. We see only glimpses of your will. So give us the Holy Spirit, O oh God. Give us light, see uh, a way to see, an ability to hear beyond our usual capabilities as we turn now to your word. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I love reading about the places where the Holy Spirit was active and involved. And so we read from a couple of places in Scripture. There's one place that's uh, printed there in your bulletin. I'm also going to pull from the book of Genesis this evening. And so um, to hear about the Spirit of God involved in the original moment and the movement of creation. From Genesis 1, I'll read verses 1 through 5 and then verses 26 through 28. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God, the Spirit, the wind from God swept over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then verse 26 and then God said, let us make human, humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and all over the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made humanity in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and fill it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And then also the story of Jesus' baptism as told in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4, some preliminary words about uh, John the Baptist um, and then, uh, then Jesus' baptism. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus of Nazareth came out of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn open, and the Spirit descending like a dove on him, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before I start the sermon, I do want to say just a very quick word about uh, what 
Um, uh, some people may be looking for, they may be anticipating. A lot of people are turning to um, this church, other churches, other ministers for a word about what happened um, in our nation's capital during this past week. I've been in so many conversations with ministerial friends around the country, in fact, um, since, since uh, Tuesday, since Wednesday, um, and a lot of them were planning on preaching about that this week and, and more power to them. I chose to address it in my Friday letter, and so if you're watching this evening, um, maybe anxious, maybe even anticipating that, that uh, the sermon tonight might be addressing some of the things going on in our country, um, not trying to shirk that responsibility. I'll tell you that, um, uh, and I'll just be totally candid here, um, I probably spent, I know I spent more time writing that Friday letter than any other Friday letter I've ever written, and it was longer than any other Friday letter I've written, and I promise you, it was probably, it's probably longer than this sermon. So, I just want to say that and say I did try to pour my heart and my mind into that. So, if you, if you didn't receive that and you're watching this and you want to be on our Friday email letter distribution list, call the church office, email me, I'll send you that letter, um, and, and also get you on the list uh, uh, as well. So, that's where I wanted to tackle that, and I uh, just wanted to say that note before I started this sermon in case you're tuning in and anticipating something about that. We certainly want to pray for our country, and we'll do that a little bit later on in our service. Um, uh, but tonight, we're going to dive into this passage in particular and think about Jesus' baptism and its significance for us. And I want to start um, by focusing on a word that appears several times in Scripture, um, and I'm going to think about that word in just a minute with you. Um, it's important. It's not actually in this particular passage, but it's something that's going to guide us over the next several um, weeks in our sermon series, which is called Jesus, Man of Mystery. Jesus, Man of Mystery. And the word itself is mystery. And I want to ask you if you enjoy reading mysteries. For some people, that's their favorite form of entertainment, um, whether it's a mystery book or a movie. Um, it might be a drama. It might be a television show. Is that one of your favorite forms of entertainment, watching mystery movies or even reading mystery books? It's one of mine. It's been one of mine for um, such a long time. Is that one of your favorite forms of entertainment? Now, I know that people are watching a lot of movies over the course of these uh, holidays. My family did that, Susan and I, when we were locked down with COVID. We watched uh, several different movies. I don't know if your family's like mine, but the window of movies that we like to watch together is, uh, opens only very to a very small degree. We just don't have the same tastes in movies. I do like murder mysteries and adventures and things like that. Susan um, likes uh, maybe more romantic comedies and movies like that, and so we don't ever have a chance to watch a whole lot of movies together. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I tell you, we never go to watch movies in the movie theater either. I don't know exactly why, even pre-COVID. There was one year when I got to watch three movies in the movie theater, and it was the same movie, Nomeo and Juliet. I was blessed to watch three times with three different children when they were small in the movie theater. And it reminded me, I, I was thinking about that when I saw an advertisement for um, the new Pixar movie called Soul that's coming out. I don't know if you've seen advertisements for that, but it's the new movie um, that's coming out from Pixar, and I'm fascinated by that. And I just want to say, if you don't think that our culture 
is asking questions about souls and eternity and God and meaning and purpose, um, then just look around at what's being published and what's on Netflix and go look at the Netflix homepage or Amazon Prime's homepage. Um, See what books are being produced. Our culture is asking questions about meaning and purpose and eternity and God and who we are all the time, all the time which is why we as a church want to engage with our culture continually because our culture is asking questions like that. And so what's different now is that so many times people aren't turning to the church. They're not turning to traditional sources and answers for questions about wisdom and meaning and eternity. They're going to places like um, Hollywood and popular culture which is why we want to get outside the walls of our sanctuary. We want to engage with our culture. We want to engage with each other in new ways. We want to engage with our culture in new ways in 2021. So you've heard me say that word engage a lot. That's actually our theme for this year. And even more than a theme, it's, it's, a, it's a guiding principle for GPC in this year of 2021. Um, engage 2021, in fact, is this this uh, principle, this whole guiding thought that our session has agreed to, our diaconate has agreed to it, it's going to be what guides us at a, as a body of Christ in the year 2021, engage. Because we know, we know that we're going to emerge out of this pandemic. It's coming. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. More and more people are signing up for vaccinations. It's going to happen where as a church and as a culture, we emerge from this pandemic. And when it does, we want to engage with each other in some pretty incredible ways. We know that there are groups um, that have been meeting on, uh, on Zoom, and I have been so, I've been amazed at the Sunday school classes and the men's breakfast and all the groups that are still meeting um, via Zoom, and they've met all through this pandemic. It's been, it's been wonderful. And you're watching us due to technology. You're able to watch us and, and plug into this. But it is nothing compared to being with people face-to-face and heart-to-heart. And every time, it's interesting, every time somebody ends a Zoom meeting, I hear people say these words, I can't wait to see you again. I can't wait to see you again. And by that, they don't mean I don't want to see you on a two-inch screen on a bigger screen. No, I want to see you. I want to, I want to hear your voice immediately, not mediated through technology. And I want to hug you. I want to give you a handshake. I want to be together and to fellowship again. And think about all the things we've had to stop during this year. We've had to stop going to MAM, to BCA for the most part. We've had to stop our, our homeless ministry to room in the inn. To stop serving our neighbors in need is like pouring cold water on a fire, a fire that used to give us light and it used to give us warmth. And, and we feel so cold and blind when we can't go to MAM and tutor those great kids, when we can't love our homeless neighbors with a meal and a shower and a bed. Um, it's just we, we're cold as a church when we can't do that. As a great theologian, Helmut, Helmut Tielek, he said, the church exists for mission like a fire exists through burning. And you can't have a fire without flames. You cannot be a church if you're not loving and serving your community around you. And so we're going to engage with our community again. We're going to engage in Sunday school classes in new ways. We're going to have some huge fellowship event at some point to, just to embrace one another again. Last March, April, or May, I was sure that was going to happen this fall. 
now. It looks like it'll happen next fall, but it is going to happen. And we're going to engage each other in so many important ways. I'm so excited about this because we ourselves and our world, we're asking these questions of faith and eternity and meaning and purpose in God all the time. Sometimes even without knowing it, you see it in the art You see it in writings, you see it in TV shows and movies, and that sort of brings me back to my original question to everybody at the very beginning of this was, what is your favorite of writing or entertainment or art? I'm about two-thirds of the way through my latest Ian Rankin, Inspector Rebus detective novel. I don't know if you've ever read any of Ian Rankin before, but he sets these Inspector Rebus detective novels in Edinburgh which is close to where Susan and I lived in the beginning of our marriage. I've read about half those novels. It's so fun for us to see the streets and the, the names and the buildings in Edinburgh that we used to walk around all the time. Um, I even got to go visit the police station in Edinburgh, where a lot of Ian Rankin's um, books were his detectives work out of, that police headquarters. Our church over there in Britain had the equivalent of what is the Boy Scouts here in America. It's the Boys Brigade over there in Britain. And the Boys Brigade took a um, trip, a field trip to the police headquarters, and they invited me to tag along. And it was incredible to see all the work that uh, they were doing back then. And, um, and then, uh, of course, to, uh, to read about that and to see those names is something that's meaningful uh, today. The main character in these uh, detective novels, his name is Inspector John Rebus. And he's kind of this crusty, old-school detective and he eats terribly, and he smokes too much, and he drinks too much like most Scottish people in general, and he can't ever get his life and his relationships together like most people in general. But in the end, despite all of his problems, he always catches the bad guy. And in the end, justice wins. Some revelation comes along to solve that mystery, and justice wins in the end. So would it surprise you to know that uh, crime mysteries in general, crime fiction and mysteries, that that's the best-selling category of fiction? It is. Look at all the shows on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Mysteries are one of the greatest ways in which people can communicate through a mystery. I didn't know this. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, which is actually more of a website now than a book, but uh, Agatha Christie was the most prolific mystery writer of all time. She wrote 66 different detective books, different detective novels that have sold over 2 billion copies. She's the most translated author of all time, according to the Guinness Records. And Agatha Christie herself was a devout Christian. She believed that each person is a mystery within their own selves. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself like that, that you yourself are a mystery to be solved. She said this, she said, very few of us are what we seem. And she knew this, that we all have different personalities that show up at different times. We've got a public self, a public persona, but we've also got a private self that we keep to ourselves sometimes. She also said this, she said, the impossible could not have happened. Therefore, 
The impossible must be possible in spite of appearances, mysteries. I've been thinking about mysteries in general and that whole genre of writing and thinking about how if you love mysteries, then the Christian faith is for you and reading the Bible will be the greatest adventure for you because the Bible is all about revealing what otherwise would be a mystery. It's about revealing God about revealing this majestic, incredible God, taking what would otherwise be a mystery for us and slowly but surely over time, page after page, over that long arc of history, revealing this amazing and wonderful and holy, loving God. And then in the end, we are promised that justice wins. And so does love and holiness and goodness. The New Testament is about how the impossible becomes possible. That is just what we celebrated during the incarnation, how the impossible becomes possible. There was no way, said the religions of that day back then, 2,000 years ago, there's no way that God could or would become a human being. It's impossible, but it happened. And most other belief systems back then or even now, most other belief systems are about what you have to do and the things you have to do and who you have to be in order to be saved. But Christianity is all about how you can't save yourself. The gospel says you cannot save yourself no matter what, so God does the impossible. God takes on our flesh and blood and becomes one of us in order to save us from the inside out. The impossible becomes real. And I didn't know until this week, I didn't know until this week when I started thinking about this series and about this um, sermon series about Jesus, man of mystery, I didn't know that the word mystery appears in the New Testament 27 times. This Greek word, muasterion, from which we get our word mysterious and mystery, it appears 27 times. That's really incredible. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Talk about a mystery. Colossians says this, the mystery that has been kept hidden for generations is now disclosed. It is now disclosed and it means through Jesus Christ. There is something wonderful and mysterious about what God is doing and what God is revealing through Jesus Christ and it's all there in the New Testament. So we're going to concentrate on this for the next several weeks, from this Sunday through the end of January into February. Our sermon series is entitled, Jesus, Man of Mystery. And it's about how Jesus is revealing his own personality, but how he is revealing God slowly but surely. Something extraordinary is becoming real to these ordinary eyes. Something that is so hidden is becoming real in Jesus, what God is doing to provide redemption and forgiveness for all of humanity is now being revealed in what Jesus does in his ministry. So Jesus is this man of mystery. He's really this man of revelation, and he is unveiling this mystery right before us. And so we're going to talk about the identity of Jesus and who he is and what God is revealing through Christ. So I do want to just concentrate a little bit on this reading from the Gospel of Mark that we had, and in particular, what Jesus hears when this voice from heaven speaks out. 
right here in Mark chapter 1. This is sort of the big reveal of who Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. As writer, Mark is setting the scene for what will happen for Jesus in the rest of his whole ministry. So he is coming up out of the water. Jesus, like so many thousands of people, went to John out there in the wilderness. He is baptized, not because he needs to repent like everybody else, but because he wants to identify. He wants to identify himself with with all of humanity. And so Jesus is coming up out of that water, and he hears the voice of God speak. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they surround God the Son at that moment. And this voice from heaven, God the Father says, You are my Son, the Beloved, and with you I am well pleased. So let's just take each one of those words very briefly in that declaration and and let's say what it means. Um, First, you hear this voice say, You are my Son. Now, I want to concentrate on this word son for a few minutes because it's so important to see what it means in Scripture and what the great thinkers of the church and theology, what they have said it means over the history of the church, and to also say what it does not mean because it can cause confusion. This is one of those great scenes, these great scenes in Scripture where we see all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's one of the few scenes where they come together and they are acting together and they are present together, the three persons of the Trinity in this one place, this one moment. Now, the Christian church has always been adamant that the one and only God is known in three forms or in three ways, or the traditional language is in three persons. They're one God, but three persons. The traditional names we find there in Scripture are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is very relational language. It's family language, of course. It's meant to describe the intimacy between the three persons of the Trinity, of God. But for me, the confusing part, um, honestly, for so long of my, my growing up life as a Christian and it's still sometimes I fall into this way of thinking, of thinking of the Father and the Son along the lines of human fathers and sons. And that is not what Scripture mainly is trying to convey when it talks about God the Father and God the Son, not based on the human model. And the human relationship of Father and Son, there is hierarchical, it's a hierarchical relationship. And it's true for mothers and daughters. I've seen that. It's true for parents and children. One generation is higher than or older than another generation, more experienced than the younger generation. Think about it. Younger generations are so, when they're infants, they're so weak. They are so dependent on parents when they're very young. It's a relationship of non-equals. It's just not an equal relationship. And then all of life, throughout all of life, children are called to to respect and obey and honor and defer to the older generation. An older generation gives birth to a younger generation. An older generation is greater than a younger generation. But this is confusing because this is not what Scripture is talking about when it is talking about the Trinity, these terms of father and son. And all the great thinkers of the church down through the ages, have, have thought about this. They've never taught any kind of hierarchical relationship 
within the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are all equal from all eternity. There was never a time or even a time before time when the Father was greater than the Son or when the Father existed before the Son or before the Spirit. The Father is not greater than the Son. The Holy Spirit is not inferior to the Father or the Son. Nor None is more powerful or more important than the other. They are all equally God together. Distinct, different roles. They fill different functions, but intimately all part of the same holy and loving God. Father and Son are equal. But it is mysterious. And it's hard to understand but it's so important. And then the next word that God says is, you are the beloved. You are the beloved. And again, this is not like an older father taking pride in a younger child. What's happening here is the son is being confirmed, is being confirmed in God's love as he lives a limited human life. The Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, are reminding reminding the son of their relationship of love and surrounding that son who is living a human life. Now, think about this, and and this always gets a little deep, maybe a little philosophical, but why would the son need to be reminded, reminded of this? Because he's human at this point. For now, he is human. He is limited. Humans need to be reminded of God's love all the time. You see, when the Son emptied himself, as Philippians 2 says, in order to become a a human being, the Son emptied himself and became a servant. Became a servant. The Son took on all the limitations of human life. And that includes his mind. For a brief 33-year period, the Son of God let go of the riches of heaven, of eternity. The Son let, let go of all-knowing omniscience and all power, omnipotence and omnipresence of being everywhere at all times. In other words, the Son said, I'm going to be limited for this whole human life from start to finish. Now, you have to think about what this means to think about what this means. I mean, for example, did the infant Jesus enter the world on his day one omniscient, knowing how to speak, for example, every language in the world? No, he didn't even know his own language. He had to learn that as he grew, as we all do. Did the infant Jesus know nuclear physics? No, because they hadn't been invented Yet, he is limited to that time and that place of Bethlehem and then Nazareth as he grew up. Did he have a special relationship with God? Yes, we know that. But his human brain and mind was limited. For a 33-year period, the son lived a fully human life with all of our limitations. For him to somehow be superhuman, above human would mean that he's not human. And as one great theologian said, if he's not one of us, then he can't redeem us. No, he's fully human. And so the Father and the Spirit surround that limited life of the Son then in Jesus and remind him of of their love at that moment. What a mystery. 
but what a revelation. And then finally, friends, Jesus is pleasing to God. You are the one with whom I am pleased. I am pleased. Jesus is about to embark here on his ministry and these amazing three years of teaching and preaching and healing and then, of course, dying. Jesus himself, he doesn't know at this point exactly how all of this is going to unfold, just as you don't know how the mystery of your life is going to unfold. We don't know that it's a mystery, but it is not a mystery that Jesus has lived a life up to this point that is pleasing to God, not just right here at his baptism and what will follow, but for 30 years. Jesus has lived a life pleasing to God. He has lived the singularly unique, sinless life. I mean, he is like all of us. He's like every one of us, except in one way. He embodies God's expectations for how human beings should live. And he did that from day one onward. He has loved his family and his neighbors as himself as he grew up into adulthood. He followed the Ten Commandments. He has worshipped God. He has resisted greed and idolatry and selfishness. He has avoided sexual sin. He has chosen not to inflict pain on anyone else around him. He has lived a life that is glorifying and pleasing and honoring to God. He has lived that life that God desires for each and every one of us. And so he's about to start his ministry and teach all of us how we too also can do it, how we can receive God's love and live as God's beloved, as God's beloved. He will reveal how each of us can turn away from sin and live truly as other people do. It might seem impossible. You might look at your life right now and just say, it's impossible. It just can't happen. Friends, it can with the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit living with you and in you and you living with and for God, what may have seemed so impossible before can happen. And it will happen for you and your faith. The impossible has become real in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is this great man of mystery. He has so much to reveal about God and about ourselves. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you again for all the gifts that you give us. We thank you for the mysteries that you reveal all around us. Lord, as we continue to worship you on this evening, we pray that you would draw close to us, that you would speak, Lord, through what we sing and what we say, and that the mysteries that were once hidden would be revealed Lord, we lift up everybody who desires that relationship with you, that you might speak to them and that you might reveal yourself to them in some way this evening and in some way this week that inspires them to be your true follower and your disciple. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This next song that we're going to sing is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's a song I believe most of you guys are going to be familiar with. But um, my favorite part about this is that it's a medley with um, 
just a phrase, and it says, above all else, I adore your name. Above all else, tune my heart to sing your praise. And I pray that as you guys sing this song with us, that above all else, you would lift up the name of the Lord for yourself, not for anybody else, but because he wants to hear your heart's cry. He cares about everything that you've been going through, whether you realize it or not. And so with that, please sing with us. Oh 
you are right. We love singing that song here. That's one of the great hymns. There's great harmony. It's absolutely wonderful. And I love verse 2 where it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And every time we sing that, I get questions about that. What the heck is an Ebenezer? Ebenezer Scrooge? What is that? Um, it's this great word in Hebrew, and it means thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has brought us. It's a great, you ought to look it up in 1 Samuel 4, 5, 6, and 7. The story, of course, of the Israelites, and they're battling the Philistines. And uh, there's this one particular battle where the Philistines are going to rout them. But God comes along, and God saves people. And so Samuel takes this huge stone, and he sets it up. He erects this monument, and he calls it Ebenezer. Because by thus far, we've made it thus far by God's help. And I think about people in our church. I think about people in our community. I think about people in the mission partners where we serve as a church. And uh, boy, they just have the hardest things going on, and they have incredible battles. They're fighting um, tough times all along, and yet they maintain the faith. And they say, by God's grace, I've made it this far. And so if that's you this week, we want to pray for you. We want to pray that you make it through another week. We want to pray for our community. Um, we want to do that after I just remind you about the, the chance you have to give, to be generous. We'd usually take up an offering, of course, and uh, that would be hard. That would be us taking up the offering. Uh, anybody got any money we want to offer tonight uh, with an empty sanctuary? But we do want you to go online. We want you to, uh, to be generous if you can, and you can give to support the work of the church. Um, and as we do that, we, we pray for that. We dedicate that offering, but we also pray for the world around us, and we'll do so uh, now in this time of prayer. So please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this evening to indeed lift up those people who have come thus far by your help, Lord, who have raised an Ebenezer of faith, and they are grateful, and yet, Lord, they need your help to keep going. We think about so many places in our world, oh God, where there are problems, where there is fighting, where there is warfare. We think about our own nation, oh God, and, and how divided we can sometimes be. And we don't have to look any further than this past week to know that we are a people and that we are a nation badly in need of your grace, of your guidance, of your love, of your will to be revealed for us. Lord, you have called us to be a special place. You've called us to be a light on a hill. And may we be that, O oh God, but may we be that because we are people who love who reach out to neighbors and who pick up those who fall behind and those who fall down. And so we pray for healing, O oh God. We pray for healing in our country. We pray for those who are divided bitterly along political lines that they might see some vision of the future that would call them together, that would call them to act in accord and in purpose with each other to move forward together. But we pray for people to see that compromise is not a dirty word. On the edges, it is, oh God. On those on the political edges, it's a, it's a bad thing. But for Christians to compromise and to be humble and to work together, we know it is good and it is right. And so we pray, oh God, for the power of compromise, the power of moving forward, the power of your Spirit to be alive among our elected leaders. And we pray for peace. Well, we pray healing also, not just for those in, in a political realm, but we pray for the healing 
of people's lives. Lord, for people in our own church, our own friendship circles, whose bodies are just ravaged with cancer, those undergoing treatments, Lord, those who are facing a mental illness and they don't know where to turn or their families don't know where to turn, Lord, we pray healing for them. We pray that that those people will reach out and they would find help, they would find hope, and they would find healing. And Lord, we do lift up to you. We lift up those who are especially vulnerable. We think about the hungry and the hurting and the homeless. We think about children. We think about students. We pray for them on this night, O God, that the cold of this night would not take lives of those who live on the streets. We pray for all those who minister to those who are poor poor and vulnerable, that they would know, God, that there is hope, that you would provide it through this church and through all churches and through all agencies who seek to reach out to the least of these, our brothers and sisters. Lord, hear us as we do lift up our many voices, as we pray the prayer that you taught us to say in these words, O God, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. as we sing, Lord, we lift your name on high. We want to thank him for, as, as uh, we'll talk tonight, he came and he came in flesh just like us so that he could identify with us. He came to earth and he came for purpose and he fooled that purpose of the Father. We've been affected by that. I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show.
Dear friends, thank you for worshiping with us tonight. Go out into this night knowing that you are beloved of God, that you are a child of God. Go out into this world. Go out into the spheres of your work and your friendships, your school, wherever you may go. Go out to love, the, and, lo, love and serve the Lord and go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen. Your name.